On today's edition of Locked on LSU, we will break down LSU's massive recruiting weekend. Who's high on the Tigers? Who are they still pursuing? All of that plus so much more on today's edition of Locked on LSU. You are Locked on LSU, your daily podcast on the LSU Tigers. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And joining Locked On LSU now is John Garcia Jr., Locked On's official recruiting insider. Always appreciate John for joining the show and for his expertise. There was a massive recruiting weekend for LSU this past weekend. Some of the top recruits in the country were in New Orleans, came to Baton Rouge to have their unofficial visits. So I wanted to break down some of the three biggest names or uh even recruits at some of the more positions of need at the defensive line, starting with Collage Cobbins. He's a four-star linebacker out of Destrehan, you know, a, a local-ish kind of guy. What stands out to you about him? Yeah, well, the, the size you just listed, you know, big, physical, and imposing player. And Collage can do a little bit of everything. That's what I like on his athletic profiles front. You watch him play. First of all, obviously, you know, Destrehan's playing big boy ball. Uh, week in, week out. So you love the competition that that a guy like Cobbins is going to face. But you see a little bit of everything on his tape. Great in space, comfortable running sideline to sideline. But he's got this length to him that you know is going to fill out and I think could make him even more versatile at the next level to where you're using him a little bit as a pass rusher because he's not a short, stocky linebacker. He's got more length to his name. And then at the same time, Caroline, back him up, uh, allow him to use that wingspan to play underneath uh, in, in his own defense concept. So I, I think he's kind of a do it all linebacker in the modern sense. And you really can't have uh, enough of those players on your roster for sure. So naturally a uh, pretty big deal to lock in local talent, but obviously local blue chip talent is, is where most LSU fans would prefer. Yeah. Listed at six, three, 200 pounds. What kind of linebacker do you view him as? Is he like an outside linebacker, edge rusher kind of guy? Is he more of an inside kind of backer? Looking at LSU's current roster as it's constructed, obviously that is one position of need. We have oh, you know, one recruit committed to LSU, a hard commit in the 2024 class. What kind of what category of linebacker do you see him best fitting in? Yeah, I think right now you probably go comfortable with the off-ball inside linebacker mm -hmm. label. Uh, but look, with, with that frame, depending on how it fills out, remember, still got another year, of course, uh, of high school ball before arriving there in, in Baton Rouge for good. Right. He could become a jack or edge type prospect because he's got the length and physicality to take on blocks uh, and to rush the passer. But right now, he does appear most comfortable uh, as, as a traditional off-ball linebacker, sideline to sideline with the occasional, um, you know, pass rush or, or drop into coverage, you know, sprinkle in his, in his athletic bucket. But I think he can do a little bit of everything. So that's one where his body might lean towards a position, but his game uh, can stay versatile almost no matter what. 
Javon Keys is another one, a three-star uh, linebacker out of Texas. Now, previously, it was thought that maybe he might commit to Oklahoma State. He takes his visit to LSU over the weekend and, as of a couple days ago, has committed to LSU. And, of course, with all of these guys in the 2024 class, there's so much time left. Anything could change. But what do you think was the reason for that flip? I mean, not official flip, but, you know, high on Oklahoma State and then officially uh, committing to LSU. Well, LSU is doing a great job, not only assembling talent on campus, but executing while there. And look, if you are a two-way player like Keys is, if you're a Texan like Keys is, I mean, look at look at what they did last year. Are you not looking at Harold Perkins and saying, man, maybe that's me next year? And I'm sure it's a, that's tough to, to put into context, but you understand why um, you can kind of fall in love with the program in pretty short order with that type of, of recent and tangible precedent uh, kind of to, to LSU's name. Now, he's a different type of player. I, I don't want to put him in that in that box because that's a unique, uh, you know, unicorn type of box. Yeah, you but say you Harold understand. Perkins and everyone's ears perk up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you understand why you can aspire to something like that and kind of want to follow in that footsteps because, look, LSU for previous staffs has always churned out these athletic freaky linebackers but the bulk and depth of those units is just as important so if lsu recognizes that and starts to push while you're impressed on this first visit it's going to be hard to say no to, to some of that stuff so keys obviously you know was compelled to to jump on board i think it was sunday and uh, you could you could understand why um, and he's a really interesting player he's the opposite of what we just said about cobbins so cobbins long lean spatial guy uh, Keys is sawed off, 5'11", 6 foot, 215, so he's bigger than Cobbins and more built to, to distribute contact and, and hit with power. This is a, a downhill linebacker, and conversely, we talked about the two-way ability. He's a pretty good running back in his own right, and, and I'm a big fan of linebackers who play running back because you get that opposite uh, position to help you round out your game and, and set the precedent to, to attack those guys down the line. So that's where you expect keys to end up. He won't be the highest ranked, most physically gifted player on the commitment list or, or on the roster one day at LSU, but he's going to be a guy who's got a high floor who kind of, you know, knows what he does best and he's going to, you know, live and, and lean into that role as a downhill sort of thumper. And then finally, the third 2024 defensive recruit that was at LSU this past weekend that really stood out to me was Ahmad Bro. He's a three-star edge rusher from Ruston who had originally committed to Duke. He gets an offer from LSU and then the next day decommits from Duke. <laughs> the next day commits to LSU, which yeah. is, you know, to be expected from a local guy. But what stands out to you about Ahmad Bro? Yeah, a little easier to explain that one. Hey, yeah, that up, one self-explanatory. They jumped in and I jumped in, right? R real simple to, to understand there. But this is a nice player. Um, he, he's got real nice tape. Rustin uh, football is great football there um, as well. Uh, he's pushed them deep in the playoffs each of the last few seasons. And he's really the catalyst to, on that defense. He's He's got this, I, I would say, balanced pass rushing arsenal. You know, he, he's 6'3", 255, so he can certainly win with length and speed off the edge, but he's got this power element that makes you think he's bigger than his listed 255. And that's where I start to get really intrigued 
with his ceiling, right? Because do you continue to slap weight on this kid and let him work inside one day, or do you keep him on the outside where he's so physical and strong at the point of contact to where he could be an ideal edge setter? We talk about jack players and edge players as pass rushers so much. You have to set the edge and, and build your run defense uh, and corner your run defense simultaneously, and that is an area where bro – is already a seasoned player from a leverage and, and technical standpoint. So I really like uh, the foundation of his game if he does stay on the outside, but I could see him moving inside one day uh, there as well. So I really like this take, obviously an in-state guy that LSU was evaluating and, and ended up seeing enough of to, to pull the trigger with that scholarship offer. And for a kid like that, that's all he needed to see. And, of course, there's a whole lot of time left. But this past weekend, a big weekend for LSU in terms of recruiting. And you can start to tell early that that defensive line position is absolutely key as Brian Kelly starts to recruit this next recruiting class next year. But coming up next, we talk about guys that could be coming in next year. One guy who decided to exit early. Why is that? We'll get into that with John coming up next. The tournament is heating up. And now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Now just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It is safe, it is secure, and it is oh so easy to use. And then you can bet on everything. You've got the money line, point scores, to threes drained. You can bet on individual player props. So if you think one individual player will score X number of points, higher or lower, higher or lower, the certain number of rebounds set on the FanDuel Sportsbook app, they've got everything. And you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Well, thanks for making Locked on LSU your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Now, John, Michael Doherty was a very interesting news that dropped. So Michael Doherty was a, a freshman safety in this 2023 class. He decided to enroll early, got on LSU's campus in January, and just about a month later decides to enter the transfer portal. And I thought it could have been as simple as, he got on campus and it just wasn't what he wanted. I thought it could have been as dramatic as he was promised something that he just simply didn't get. Have you gotten a gauge on why Michael Doherty decided to enter the transfer portal so early in his college career? Yeah, we've seen a little bit of this pretty early on uh, in, in the year 23, um, where guys enrolled and, and or, or were about to enroll and asked out of their letter of intent. Uh, but not a lot of cases where you are enrolled and then hit the portal. That's a little bit more rare. Typically, it's, it's one of a few things. Uh, like you said, sometimes it's as simple as, hey, um, I didn't realize it was going to be this much. And, and that could be in any direction, right? It could be academically, it could be school-wise, it could be just kind of the balance between being a student athlete at, at such a high level there in the SEC. You could be overwhelmed. You know, he's, he's a Georgia kid, maybe, you know, homesickness. All of those things are always potentially on the table. But I think with this case, there was a little bit of rumblings, and we don't want to play the rumor game too much. Right. There were some rumblings earlier in the spring that it just kind of wasn't working out. Um, and, and when you hear and see texts like that or you get texts like that, it's usually a little bit more tangible, either relative to football, 
and his play or sometimes conduct, you know? So usually it's in one of those two directions when you hear, Hey, it's, it's really not working out. And then a couple of weeks later, you see such an abrupt entry into the transfer portal, even before spring ball begins. So, you know, you didn't even really see anything through from a football standpoint. So it does make you ask a lot of questions. You understand why there's not a whole lot of tangible news around it, other than the, the actual move away from LSU. But look, this was, this happens, right? You have to, yeah. whether you're the player or the program, you have to always evaluate your situation and, and, make a decision from there. And most of the times it's a lot more conservative um, on one end or the other, but clearly there was a, a catalyst in this, in this situation that sparked pretty quick movement, but this was something that there were, there were some rumblings about a little bit before uh, he officially made, you know, put a statement out that he was going to enter the transfer portal. So, you know, I think it's, you know, everyone washes their hands with the other party and you kind of just move on and, and part ways uh, traditionally and, and hope the best for, for the other side. Interesting. Yeah. You know, wish him nothing but the best, but just out of curiosity, have you seen a higher rate of recruits enrolling early over the last two years? I mean, you look at LSU's 23 class I mean, almost half, not over half of this 2023 class has decided to enroll early. Yeah. I think 50, 50 used to be the high end number and now it's the expectation. You know, you expect, more than half your class to to enroll early. Certainly you expect your quarterback always to enroll in, in January. And, and then a lot of, of recruits are starting to follow that trend because not only do you get this assimilation period, and look, if it goes the other way, you can make a move before your eligibility you know starts to cost you. But on the other side of it, you know, it, it's so competitive. It's more competitive now than it's ever been to grab and then hold on to a roster spot. So an extra semester uh, ahead of time is, is almost essential for freshman impact. Now, if you're, again, a Harold Perkins type, it don't matter when you enroll, you're probably still going to make that same type of impact. But for everyone else, yeah, there's usually a strong correlation between first-year contributors and guys who enrolled in January as opposed to May or June because you just get so much ahead of the curve compared to your classmates that you're almost a second-year player by the time the fall rolls around. I mean, yeah, I think the the advantages are obvious. You get a few months ahead of everyone else to just get acclimated, understand the expectations, physically start to grow a little bit more. So yeah, I think absolutely you see it as being advantageous. But but coming up next, I have a theory, and there has been a, a thought around college football about the expectations for Brian Kelly from Notre Dame to LSU. And what role does recruiting play in that theory or that idea. We'll get into that with John coming up next. So John, I think the big probably critique about Brian Kelly is that he's been able to get his Notre Dame teams there. They've been to the college football playoff. You know, they were in the, the BCS national championship against Alabama, you know, 10, 12 years ago, whenever that was. But the critique is he's never been able to win the big dance. And a lot of people, whenever Brian Kelly decided to come to LSU, people said, okay, well, the, the recruiting is going to be so much more robust at Notre Dame. And looking back at some of his recruiting classes all the way from 2010 until 2021, his final year at Notre Dame, I mean, he's had some really solid classes in there. He's had his hand, a handful of five stars, especially early on in his career at Notre Dame. So do you think that that is a fair assessment 
that recruiting at LSU gives you an advantage over recruiting at Notre Dame? I think it's it's close. It's very close and, and maybe not as stark as, as folks some folks are making it seem. But I do think, yeah, I think there is a little bit more of a ceiling at, at LSU from a recruiting standpoint. I think you can pull from different areas uh, in that assessment. I, I think obviously the, the most glaring is the local talent, right? Mm-hmm. That's the, That was the initial question. Hey, could he even bring in local guys? Well, he's answered that question in, in Sharpie. Um, but yeah, you can recruit locally at Notre Dame. No disrespect to the fine folks in Indiana. You can't really recruit at that level at a championship level locally. You have to go national for almost all of your talent at Notre Dame. Notre Dame has been able to go into Florida and California, everywhere else to pull great talent um, at LSU. You can do that, but it's always going to be a supplement to that local pipeline. Even now in just the New Orleans and Baton Rouge areas, you can pull the majority of your class and spot recruit elsewhere in SEC country. You can't do that at Notre Dame. And then look, I I don't know how much your audience will love this answer, but look, academically, there is a different expectation at, at Notre Dame and LSU. It just is what it is, right? So if it's harder to get in. Right, right. <laughs> so if, if if that's another element that is tangibly true, then that's something that you have to consider as well. There's there's more, there's a larger pool of players you can pull from, whether local or national, from LSU compared to what you can pull um, at Notre Dame. And I think, you know, people won't talk about the religious element of it. Now, look, it's not it's not a, a school where you have to participate in certain things up at Notre Dame, but it is very much linked to the Catholic church. And, and that for some folks, and it's a minority, a strong minority, but for some folks, that's something that will maybe have Notre Dame off the table early uh, in the recruiting process. Uh, so I, I do think there are some things, all things even that are much different uh, with, with LSU relative to Notre Dame. But I think when you bring it back to, to 2023 and the modern recruit, they've seen Notre Dame be good, but they've also seen LSU win it all. And they've seen LSU win it all with each of their last three coaches. Mm -hmm. And they watch the NFL and they're watching LSU players dominate and win Super Bowls all over the field. So it, it does, from a modern sense, it does probably increase the gap uh, for LSU over Notre Dame. But look, conversely, the Notre Dame offer has its own pull. Look, it's the only independent program that has been able to compete at a high level. Like you said, there have been five stars. There have been top 10 recruiting classes. Um, there have been elite positions and position groups that became synonymous with Notre Dame, the, the O-line, the D-line, the tight ends. Um, so so there's been a lot of advantages to building up there, and, and nobody would have frowned against Brian staying up there and continuing to build and try to get over that hump. But when you start to zoom out, especially now that we're, we're in year two of this thing, yeah, there are some strong advantages for LSU, but it's not, it's just not as big of a, a difference as maybe some are, are making it seem. And, and I go back and forth on it because there's one example that I've heard so many times is a name that we've both said a few times in this podcast already, and that's Harold Perkins. That a player like Harold Perkins or a player that's one of the best players in the country from Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, Florida, Georgia, they're not going to Notre Dame. 
So you look at these difference makers for LSU over the past couple of years, those kind of players just aren't going to Notre Dame. But in that same breath, I look at Marcus Freeman's recruiting classes over the last couple of years. Top 10 class in 2023. I top three class in 2024. So it's a totally a fair point that, I mean, with LSU, they're they're just in your backyard. You know, you can pluck them from any of the local high schools. Notre Dame, you may have to work a little bit harder, but the allure of Notre Dame is still there. So I, I think it's kind of an an interesting thing to look at at the barrier for for Brian Kelly at Notre Dame and if those barriers still exist at LSU. Yeah, I think I think he obviously would be the best person to to answer that question. I'm sure he would probably try to skirt around it. You know, based uh, classic. on. on yeah, based on his history, but yeah, look, and and I do think there's more uh, flexibility with LSU. Mm-hmm. There's more buy-in. Uh, look, it's SEC country. You know, I I think, you know, that people joke about the SEC because people root for the conference just as much as they root for their teams in some instances. But that stuff really does matter. I mean, Texas and Oklahoma dropped everything to jump into the SEC. You know, um, the, the whole joke with Notre Dame is like, hey, they're not going to win anything until they jump into a conference. But even if they do, it's not. It's probably not going to be the SEC. So I, I do think that that allure alone is something that is, is something that you know played well with Brian when when all of this went down, um, however long ago it was, a year and a half at this point. Um, because look, a lot of the pitfalls and those championship games. Those were SEC schools, right? You know, the, you mentioned the Bama national title game. They played Georgia a couple of times over the last decade. You know, Brian, you know, firsthand saw uh, sort of the power of, of the SEC. So, you know, with an opportunity at LSU, you understand as time has gone on here, you understand a little bit more of, of why he decided to make uh, that that surprising, bold, unprecedented move that, that he did. John Garcia Jr., always appreciate you for joining us. Where can the people find your work? Yeah, uh, catch me on Twitter, John Garcia underscore JR, and, of course, uh, throughout the Locked On Network uh, on great shows like this. Always appreciate you. We'll chat with you soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for making Locked On your first listen today. For your second listen, check out our brand-new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. Experts Isaac Shade and Andy Patton bring you everything that you need to know on and off the court, plus – You can hear from big-name experts, coaches, and players throughout the basketball landscape. Locked on College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.